Welcome everyone to the Lo-Fi Parlay Side Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Pickering. That's right, Lo-Fi is in low fidelity, low quality, in-your-face, messy-as-can-be global news show. It's Monday, and you're listening to Pickering Unplugged. Today, we're going over five stories from the past seven days that I think are most important, and why. And there's no time limit on this. Pickering Unplugged goes until it's gone. Simple as that. So what have we been talking about lately? Well, my five picks of the week are... Israel and the normalization of diplomatic and economic ties in the Middle East, Tanzanian elections, French political satire and the ramifications, Hong Kong and China, and ending out with a brief conversation about the we that we be. Let's start off with Middle Eastern relations, though. So in the past two months, a lot has begun to change with how Israel's neighbors in the Middle East are dealing with them. It started off with the United Arab Emirates normalizing diplomatic ties and then moving toward economic ties as well. Then Bahrain jumped in and now Sudan as well. Additionally, it looks like Qatar, Oman, Niger, Morocco, and even Saudi Arabia have all signaled they may follow suit and normalize ties with Israel. That's eight countries in total. So let's start off simple and talk about what does it mean when we say normalize diplomatic relations and create economic ties. And let's even preface this by saying, what is going on now is not Middle Eastern peace talks. None of these countries are at war with each other. None of them have armed militarized conflicts with each other. Right now, between these countries and Israel, there is already peace. So currently, their relationship is comparable to what? Let me use this metaphor for you. You ever had a next door neighbor that you really just never talked to? You never wave at, you never go over to their house and ask to borrow something. You just both kind of kept your distance from each other. Well, that's how things are between these countries. Of course, you talk about your neighbor behind their back to other neighbors, which these countries most certainly do. But you're not going next door to say, Hey neighbor, get out here so I can go all fisticuffs with you. And P.S., yes, I know it's a little more complicated in the Middle East than that. But is it really? Anyway, so that's what things are like right now. So what does normalizing diplomatic ties and economic relations really mean? What are we talking about? Well, firstly, this means that these countries previously didn't have embassies or consulates opened and operating in each other's countries. Their citizens didn't legally go traveling back and forth, and there weren't passports that allowed people to go visit. Normalizing diplomatic ties allows for all of these kinds of things. Now, creating economic ties comes after which means just starting to allow businesses and the countries themselves to buy and sell goods and services between each other. And considering these countries are geographically close, this move is just good business for everyone involved. So basically, the normalization of diplomatic and economic ties takes away all the restrictions of interactions between these countries and their people. So for instance, Saudi Arabia has always blocked all internet content created and coming from Israel. This could change, and this is a big leap, Um, and for a lot of different reasons, I'm extremely curious to see if this actually takes place. You know, if Saudi Arabia and Israel do normalize ties, will Saudi Arabia start letting Israeli internet content into the country? Uh, We'll have to wait and see. But there's a lot of hurdles to overcome before this actually takes place. So the UAE has demanded that the annexation of the West Bank not proceed, which at the moment Israel has paused those plans. Also, Qatar is demanding that Palestinians gain their own independent state before they normalize ties with Israel. 
And we'll have to really wait and see on this one because that is a big demand. Um, and there's no telling what other demands the five countries waiting on this deal will add to the list. So why does the normalization of diplomatic and economic ties make it to my top five this week? Simply put, this could completely change the dynamics of Middle Eastern politics. This could open up a lot of economic activity and create more economic prosperity for the entire region. I mean, these separate, but in many ways already world powers, could together become one of the most dominant regions in the world and easily contend with both Western and Chinese global influence. So yeah, this is important. But now let's shift gears to the Tanzanian elections. So last week we talked about the Tanzanian government limiting access to Twitter and Telegram right before the election and how this was extremely concerning. You know, it makes us wonder, why don't you want your people talking across the country or the world right before the presidential elections take place? Anyway, so the election happened. The results came in on Friday. And don't you know, the incumbent president won the election with 84% of the vote. 84%. Come on now. You already know what I'm going to say, Lofi Nation. No president in any democracy with truly free and fair elections wins with 84% of the vote. It just doesn't happen. And it does not happen for a multitude of reasons, which I won't get into here because it would simply distract us from the conversation of Tanzania. But we'll talk about it another time. So the president wins. Multiple opposition parties and candidates say the election was rigged, and they call for peaceful demonstrations to protest the election. Okay, cool. Democracy is partially about freedom of organization. Well, now, we get word that the main opposition leader, along with several other opposition leaders from other political parties throughout the country that called for these peaceful protests, have all been arrested. And the charges? For planning violent protest. Violent protest that never took place, mind you. Now, let me tell you something. If you're thinking about comparing the events here in Tanzania to, let's say, a developed country that has a developed democracy, go ahead and stop yourself. This is not the same thing. We're not talking about an extremely free democracy first off. On a scale of 0 to 100, 0 being completely not free, 100 being completely free, the organization Freedom House gives Tanzania a 40 out of 100. All of your extremely free democracies in the world have over an 85 out of 100, just to give you an idea. And most developed countries, meaning economically rich countries, have a GDP per capita of over $30,000 a year per person. Tanzania's GDP per capita in 2019 was only $1,122 a person a year. This situation on the ground in Tanzania is far different than that comparison you were about to make. But you know what the election and economic situation in Tanzania is comparable to? Most countries in the world. Most countries in the world are struggling with economic development. Most countries in the world are struggling with political development and gaining more rights and freedoms from government that law would not give them to the people. The story in Tanzania makes my top five list today because it truly represents what most people in most places across the planet are dealing with. Wake up, Lofi Nation. The struggle is real in the world. And for our next pick, another type of struggle, French political satire and its effects. So last week we talked about the French magazine Hebdo depicting 
Turkish President Erdogan lifting up the dress of what appears to be a Muslim woman on the cover of the magazine. To say the least, Turkey and a host of Muslim-majority countries did not find this amusing at all. The Hebdo magazine is not new to criticism for its depictions of Muslim images um, that are inappropriate or not allowed in many Muslim countries or communities. So I'm not going into all the examples, but you can definitely easily look this up and look at the long history of controversy with this magazine. So at the moment, a boycott on French goods is gaining traction in Turkey, Bangladesh, Indonesia, and several other countries over this affair. Turkey is planning diplomatic and legal actions against France, though we're still not sure what this will entail and how it will take shape. But what is all of this really about? Why is this such a big deal on the world stage? And there's a very simple answer to this question, and the very reason that it makes my top five this week. This situation is representative of one of the most important debates going on at the international level since World War II, since the United Nations was created, and since the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was written. The heart and soul of this situation is about religion and politics at the planetary level. And let's preface this conversation with one very important fact. There is no planetary government. The United Nations is not an international government. It's an international social club. And yes, I know it's really more than that, but you get my point. So that being said, countries are just countries in the world. And there's no such thing as a world leader in the context of one country controls the entire globe. It just isn't so. So when one country or group inside of a country does something to piss off another country or their people, well, what do we do? You know, you could make an argument that freedom of the press is one of the major tenets of democracy, and as such, the hebdo, they're well within their rights to publish whatever it is they want. And furthermore, that democracy is enshrined in the UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And sure, you can go that way, definitely. You could also counter that by saying that democracy is about government being representative of the people. That democracy is about government actions being a direct reflection of the will of the people. And you would be most certainly correct about that as well. And as such, if the people want government to outlaw certain depictions of religious figures, and the government does so, then that is representative democracy. Remember, in all democracies, there are always winners and losers with every single policy that is passed by government. That's a fact. Democracy, in reality, does not play out as representing all the people all the time. It plays out as representing a portion of the people, a portion of the time. And yeah, I know that's a hard reality to swallow, but it's predicated on the fact that people are diverse as individuals. What some people like, others do not. Hence, any time a government in a democracy passes some new law, the government is always, and only, representing some of those people. So to bring it back to France and Turkey, because of all the above arguments and because there is no planetary government, there is no consensus on what democracy should look like and what should or should not be allowed in a democracy at the international level. So France is within their rights as a sovereign country to publish whatever they want about religion and politics. And Turkey and Bangladesh and Indonesia are well within their rights to be pissed off as hell about that portrayal of religion and politics by France. So in short, people have all kinds of opinions about this. And that's just what they are. Opinions. 
because there are no international laws or standards to settle such a dispute about who's right or who's wrong. But this story makes my top five this week because this is representative of a lot of issues at the international stage that create a multitude of hurdles between countries and keep we as human beings separated. You know, we still have a lot of things to figure out in the world today, for sure, people. But there's definitely hope. You know, look at the past 100 years and how far we've come. You know, we're not going to figure out everything today. But it is important that we keep working on it tomorrow. And with that, let's go ahead and kick it to our fourth topic of the day, Hong Kong and China. So we've been talking about China making Hong Kong authoritarian again since we've started Lo-Fi Poli-Sci in March of this year. And you know what? We're going to keep talking about it because it is that important. So a quick recap. Hong Kong, as per an agreement with the UK, when the UK left Hong Kong and returned it to power to China in 1998-99, Hong Kong was to stay autonomous and democratic for 50 years. However, starting last year, China has been going back on that agreement and increasing their control and decreasing freedoms in Hong Kong. Last year, pro-democracy protests erupted over an extradition bill that would allow Hong Kong citizens to be tried in Beijing courts. That legislation was tabled. Then a new bill known as the Security Law was announced that would increase the ability of government to put on trial Hong Kong citizens for things like treason and sedition against Beijing. Protests erupted again, but the law has since passed this summer. Since then, quite a few pro-democracy protest leaders have been arrested. A few have fled the country. The UK and other countries are trying to help out pro-democracy Hong Kong citizens. But China keeps moving forward, implementing authoritarianism in Hong Kong. So today, we get word that seven of the city's pro-democracy legislative council members have been arrested for, and wait for it because I'm using finger quotes here, a fight that broke out in May in the legislative council meeting between these seven pro-democracy councillors and pro-Beijing councillors. They're being charged with contempt and interfering with members of council. And the pro-Beijing councillors that were involved in the fight? Not being charged at all. Big surprise there, China. So this story makes my top five list this week because it's representative of a 15-year trend going on in the world today. You see, the Organization of Freedom House, an organization that rates countries by their levels of civil liberties and civil rights, has recorded a 15-year trend of decreases in freedoms worldwide. For 15 years straight, the world has gotten less free. Now, you can argue about if democracy is a universal human right or not, sure. You can argue that some people don't want democracy. Sure, go ahead. I won't stop you, because you're free to do so. P.S. You're only free to do so because you're likely in a democracy. But anyway, this story and this trend isn't about if democracy is the right type of government for everyone. This story and this trend are about people around the world losing freedoms that they previously had. Because you see, even in not-free countries, people are losing what freedoms they had. This Hong Kong story is about the direction that the world has been headed. And the only way to affect positive change in the world is to take an honest look at the direction the world is currently moving. The story makes my top five today because it's truly about what's going on in the world today. 
And with that, let's go ahead and close things out with our fifth and final topic, and nothing less than a brief discussion on the we that we be. And firstly, the we that we be is not a catchphrase. It's a way of life. The we that we be is about us and our dreams. And let me say, may every night that we dream be followed directly by a day that we move towards making those dreams a reality. But I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything for you right now, Lo-Fi Nation. Times are tough for a lot of different reasons. But we are still here. And we are not going anywhere. We are strong. We are brilliant. We are beautiful. We are caring and we are passionate and we are compassionate. And as you go about your week, as you walk about your life, always remember who you are and who we are. We are Lo-Fi Poli Sci, and we will always be about us and the we that we be. Reach out. You'll always find us waiting for you. And this, my friends, is Pickering Unplugged. See you tomorrow, Lo-Fi Nation. Peace and well-being to all my human beings out there. Pickering, signing off. <laughs>